Good morning. My name is Paul Crothers, and I'm part of the ministry team here at the church. And it's uh, so great to be able to welcome you into this space on Good Friday. Now, I'm probably not giving you anything new here by uh, telling you that we have a federal election campaign unfolding at the moment. Uh, It's pretty much all over the news. It's been going on for a week, and we've got another, I think, four weeks of it to go. And it's fair to say that we're going to get a lot coming at us over the next few weeks. Uh, And there's going to be all sorts of things going on in the media. There'll be sound bites. There'll be the little gotcha moments. We saw a few of them this week and a few efforts at them. Uh, There'll be a whole lot going on. There'll be different people uh, looking for power, looking to have influence, looking to have control. And they'll be saying to us, look, if you vote for me, I'm going to give you a better life. Or words to that effect. If you vote for me, then you'll get more. It might be more money. It could be more stuff. It could be more of other stuff. But if you vote for me, you'll get more. You'll get more. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to be exposed to is this sense of political machinations, political intrigue, all sorts of things going on. And for some of us who enjoy that, we'll be right into it. And for others who don't, we'll just want to turn the news off and not listen and just hope that May 21 comes around real quick. But the passage we're in today, which Anne read out earlier, is Mark chapter 15. And there's a few things in this passage, and one of them speaks to political intrigue. We've got the chief priests. They don't like Jesus, because at that moment, the chief priests, they were in control. They had the power. Jesus was a threat to their power. And so they were doing whatever they could to put that down. You've got Pilate. He's so concerned at this moment because it's the Passover festival. It's a a Jewish festival. And and with the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and Israel, what would often happen during Passover festivals is there'd be some sort of uprising, some sort of thing going on. So all Pilate wanted to do was to get through the weekend without an uprising occurring. And so he was concerned. There was no doubt some political things going on in Pilate's mind at that time. You've got Barabbas. We're told about Barabbas that that he was an insurrectionist. He he was a little bit like a terrorist, actually. Someone that was committed to overthrowing Roman power by whatever means possible. And then into the scene you have entering Jesus. And I want to read out again, Mark chapter 15. This is what it says. Very early in the morning, The chief priests, with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested and a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for him for them what he usually did. "Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?" asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them to him. 
But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. So wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified. What I want to do today is focus in on Jesus in this passage. I want to focus in on the story of Jesus and what's happening here in and around him because I think it's really instructive to us today because our politicians will tell us how they're going to give us a better life. But if you really want a better life, it's found in the reality of this space that we sit today. So the first thing that we notice, I think, in this passage is that Jesus is silent. He's silent. It's actually prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 53. And it's prophesied the fact that he would actually be silent at this moment. It's really fascinating. It's one of about 20 prophecies that we have in the Old Testament, some of them dating back over a thousand years, that predicted the events of Jesus' crucifixion. And maybe you're here today and you're here because someone's invited you along and there's some, maybe some doubts about all this story, but I want to say to you, we can have absolute confidence that the events that are recorded here are true. Because they were predicted hundreds and thousands of years before. But but Jesus is silent. And there's this design um, ethos, I I guess. If you're a graphic artist or or some sort of artist or or a person that's in that field, you'd be well familiar with the idea of of negative space. And and negative space is the idea that that if you want to have a a picture, if you're you're drawing a picture or, or some sort of graphic design, it's a long way out of my area of expertise, by the way, but if you're drawing this picture... What you do is that you make sure that there's negative space around the picture. It might be just white or it might be just one other uh, colour. But the whole idea is that it draws our focus in to the main message of the picture. That's what negative space. It's creating room for the main focus, the main point to be getting across. Jesus is being silent and it stands in contrast dramatically to what else is happening around him. The chief priests are at him, Pilate's at him, the crowds are gathering around. There's a lot of noise in this moment and Jesus is standing there in silence. It also stands in contrast to what Jesus was doing previously in his life and his ministry, where by the power of his word, he changed circumstances and situations. The power of his word meant that the storms that were raging in the seas became calm. The power of his word meant that people became healed. The power of his word meant that there was a small, meager ration of food that fed thousands. The power of his word meant that people were released from demonic possession and became free. There was so much power in his word, in his voice, and yet here he is, silent. And part of the reason why is he's saying, focus in. Focus into who I am. Focus into what 
I've come to do. So Jesus is silent. He's also spotless. Jesus is spotless. The chief priests were deeply offended by Jesus because he'd claimed that, yes, he was the Son of God. And this either had to be true, or if not, it was blasphemy, which was a deep sin. But of course, it was true. Jesus is, he was the Son of God. But the chief priests, they couldn't see it, even though they knew scriptures really well, even though they, they, they knew what was to happen, they just couldn't see it because they were so focused on their own power and their own need to be in control. But they also knew that the Roman occupiers, they wouldn't go after Jesus on the charge of blasphemy. So they came up with another charge. That Jesus is king. And of course, that was something that the Roman occupiers would be much more interested in. Anything that looked like an insurrection had to be put down very quickly. But of course, we know that Jesus is innocent here. He is completely without blemish. It says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He is spotless. He is completely without blemish or defect. So he's silent. He's spotless. One of the things that Kate and I like to do occasionally is have people over into our house and, uh, and we'll serve a meal. It's just great. You know, a lot of people like doing this. Not everyone, but a lot of people like doing this. Have people over, you have a really nice meal. But we've got a bit of a challenge, a bit of a problem. And our problem is, is that for us to have people over, we want to have a really clean house. See, we're clean freaks and we can't help it. We don't even really want to be like that. We just can't help it. And so often, not often, occasionally, we'll come to that point going, oh, let's have someone over this weekend. And then we go... But it means we have to clean the house. We have to present it spotless. And it's just something that's part of our wiring. We wish it wasn't like this, but it's part of our wiring where we, we want to do that because for us, that is an act of love. That is an act of welcome. That is an act of hospitality. When we invite people over, when we present them a clean house, we feel like we are giving them love. We feel like we are welcoming them into our place and into our home. The greatest act of love of all is Jesus, the innocent man, presenting himself spotless, taking on all the sin, taking on our sin. So Jesus is silent. Jesus is spotless. He's also substituted. In World War II, there was a, a Polish priest by the name of Father Maximus Kolbe. When the Nazis came and took over Poland, they instructed Father Maxim, Maximilian to... Uh, they tried to tell him what to preach. And he refused to do it. And as a result, they sent him to Auschwitz. And he was in the concentration camp there in Auschwitz with mainly Jews and some other people that the Nazis felt like were a threat to them. And one day there were a few people that escaped from this concentration camp in Auschwitz. 
And the guy in charge decided that there needed to be a punishment as a result. And so he selected nine people at random. And he lined them up and they were about to be shot. And Father Maximilian saw this happen and he spoke up out of the line. He stepped forward and he said, I want to go in the place of one of them. And the German soldier who was in charge was incredulous, but he said, so be it. And that day, Father Maximilian, along with eight others, lost his life. He substituted himself. He took on a punishment that was deemed for another. And it reminds us what Jesus has done. In Mark chapter 15, the crowds, they're gathering round. And they're saying, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And Jesus was substituted for Barabbas. If this event hadn't have happened, there's no doubt that Barabbas himself would have gone to the cross. He was a murderer, and that was where he was heading. But Jesus took his place. Jesus dies for Barabbas' sin. In fact, he dies for all sin in this moment. He dies for our sin. It's a really interesting aspect of Mark chapter 15 and that throughout the chapter, there's six times that Mark mentions that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's hammering it home again and again and again. He's really trying to emphasise the point. But what was happening here amongst the, the Roman occupiers, Pilate, the soldiers who would go on to mock him, you know, they placed this crown on him, didn't they? A crown of thorns and blood trickled down his forehead and his face. And what was intended for contempt, in actual fact, becomes a coronation. And those that refuse to see, those that refuse to understand, those that refuse to recognise who Jesus actually was, they testify with their own words who Jesus is. He is king. Now Jesus came to establish a kingdom. And in his life, his death and his subsequent resurrection, he inaugurates this kingdom in which we are now invited to be a part of. It's not a kingdom like what we imagine the world to be. It's not a kingdom that's all about keeping power. It's not a kingdom that's all about uh, keeping control. And, and even if it's a corrupt kingdom, putting your, your foot, if you're the king, putting your foot on the neck of those that you're people to oppress them. It's not that sort of kingdom. This is a kingdom of love. This is a kingdom of forgiveness, of grace, of peace and of freedom. And we're invited into this kingdom. Whatever our story is today, whatever our faith background or no faith background is today, whatever we want to think of of what the past has been, we're actually called to a response today 
And I want to suggest to you that there's three ways we can respond, just as we've explored three ways in which Jesus was at work in this passage. Because Jesus was silent, we're invited to steadfastly commit to him. We're called into something deeper here to understand and recognize what does it mean to truly follow him with everything we've got. Because Jesus was spotless, we're called to surrender everything to him. This is the space of the better life, actually. As we give it all to him, we receive so much more. As we hand over our our sin and our brokenness, we receive his grace, his freedom and his forgiveness. And Jesus is substituted. So we're called to serve others and serve him in that. So a few hours before these events that we've been sitting in today, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. And they weren't 100% sure what was going on in this moment, his disciples. It would only be later, it would only be after that they started to fully understand and fully grasp. But Jesus knew. And so he did what no respectable rabbi should ever do. He got down on the ground and he washed each and every one of his disciples' feet. He served them. And then he started to speak of what was to come. Of what he had come to do and what he had come to achieve. And he took a loaf of bread and he said to them, this is my body. It's broken for you. Whenever you meet together, eat in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And he took a jug And he poured it out. And as he was pouring it out, he said, this is my blood. It's it's the new covenant. It's the new thing I'm doing. It's what I'm doing for you. And so whenever you meet together, drink of this. And do so in remembrance of what I've done for you. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you for this moment that we can come and we can sit and we can put to one side this one side that the noise uh, the busyness the distraction all of those things and we can sit and we can just remember what it is that you've done for us when you allowed your body to be broken for our brokenness and in doing so made it possible for our healing our forgiveness our freedom And the better life, the fullest of lives in you. And so, Lord, I pray for us now. And I pray for us as we continue on this journey of change. This journey of becoming more like you as we do our best to follow your example. 
And we pray as we do this that your grace would just flow in such a way that we do experience that change, that transformation, that better life that is only possible in you. In Jesus' name I pray.